0: People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. Hello and welcome to another episode of Premier League Insights. Game week 28 is done and preparations for Game Week 29 have already begun. If you're looking for a value bet for the weekend, you've come to the right place. Of course, as always, Jake Osgathorpe is here to share his thoughts and tell us what the Infogoal model is predicting for the upcoming fixtures. All good, your end, Jake?
1: Yep, yeah, all good, thank you. Really good weekend. Uh, went close for the nice double at the weekend, obviously Everton and Wolves we were on, but if it wasn't for Gilfie Sigurdsson lying on the floor then that would have come in.
0: There we go, hoping for more of the same and we'll we'll get straight into the action. First up we've got Liverpool versus Bournemouth and well, Liverpool are looking to bounce back from a loss this weekend. No more talk of the, the unbeaten season, it's obviously too late for anyone to catch them but I guess they did show that they are capable of putting in a, a poor performance and And it was definitely a poor performance at that. Three goals conceded, none scored against second-bottom Watford. Fair result as well, I think. Liverpool managed just one shot on on target, 0.3 expected goals in in total. Watford, meanwhile, racked up 2.19 xG themselves. I think it's only the second time that Liverpool have conceded over two expected goals in one match. And you have to go back to right at the start of the season for that Southampton game where that was the case. Um, As for Bournemouth, a great point for them against Chelsea. It's one that could have been three had they held on when they were 2-1 up. But Chelsea did edge it over the 90 minutes, but obviously it won't make Bournemouth feel any better. A chink has appeared in the Liverpool armour. Bournemouth are in desperate need of more points. Pinnacle has them them at 13.58, which is just a 7% chance of the win. What chances Infogoal give the away side of causing another major upset?
1: Exactly the same, yeah, 7%. Um, I think chinking the armour is a little bit over the top. <laughs> one one bad performance and one loss this season. But, you know, the, the, the narrative has been that it has been coming. Um, obviously, the defeat at Atletico Madrid in the Champions League, the somewhat lacklustre performance against West Ham. But, you know, for them to go to Watford and get stuffed the way they did uh, and play the way they did it is a little bit concerning. Um, and, you know, they've, they've got some big games coming up, not only in the Premier League, but obviously the FA Cup and the Champions League. So, you know, Klopp needs to get this uh, shit point pointing the right direction. I know a lot of people pointing to the fact that Joe Gomez dropped out, of team Diane Lovren came in, and just um, and sort of threw the blame on him. I think that was a little bit harsh because it wasn't just the defense that was uh, that wasn't up to scratch. It was also the the attacking guys. You know, 0.3 expected goals created, which is their lowest total of the entire Premier League season. So, yeah, it was a poor performance, but I'm pretty sure, um, you know that the only thing that was hanging over liverpool was the could they go unbeaten in the season um, you know they're going to win the title that's that's pretty much a given but now that that pressure of going unbeaten is off then you know liverpool players and fans can just enjoy the rest of the season now um, knowing that although they haven't eclipsed what arsenal managed to do they're still going to win the premier league title and that's good enough for them um, as for bournemouth like you said they are really good point against chelsea um sort of well Pretty much deserved. It was another really poor defensive display. Um, you know, like we said last last week, the Bournemouth defence and uh, an attacking conundrum is, is really interesting. When they when they do go forward and create good chances, they have a better chance of winning games, but they also have a better chance of losing games and conceding goals. Um, that's what we've started to see more often towards the back end of this uh, of this season. And you know, what's it, two wins and, uh, and a draw in the last five. It's not a bad return. The two defeats that they've had in that time have come away from home in in pretty dire performances, though. So, um, yeah, I'm not giving Bournemouth too much of a chance here. The the only thing I would say is that Liverpool have looked vulnerable in the last couple of Premier League games, uh, West Ham and Watford, two teams who are struggling down the bottom end. Bournemouth are another one of those. So, um, I think Bournemouth will score. I think that's the angle we're taking anyway in this one. Like like you said, that Liverpool probably are going to win. They're extremely short, um, so aren't really worth backing to do so. In terms of the goal market like i said we're with value on both teams to score even money you can get that around 50 um 54 percent is what we're calculating a chance in this game um, and the same for over two and a half obviously it's much shorter you're looking at 69 percent on the market uh, we actually think there's a 74 percent chance uh, of that happening so um a high scoring game in which both teams hit the net is what is where we're looking and that you know it's not really a surprise given Bournemouth's defensive vulnerabilities and you know they could face a Liverpool backlash here.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, you mentioned their Joe Gomez, and it's some of the the stats that come out when he's in the team are, are quite incredible. The obviously yeah, the other big player that were they were missing at the weekend was was Jordan Henderson. Do you do you believe that was a real worry for them? Obviously, you said you the attack barely showed up, but is it that stability in in midfield and obviously at the back with Joe Gomez that really cost them there?
1: Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, I think. Mainly the mid, the mobility in midfield. Um, I'm not quite sure why, or um, you know, how Klopp can sort of fill that gap that's been left by Henderson because he's such a unique player and that he is very very selfless and um, and he's very composed when he does get the football. Um, but you know he's going to have to find a way of of plugging that gap, whether it is with a, with Chamberlain again or whether Navigator comes into the team for this game. Uh, Rooms are that he's going to be fit for this one, so um, he might be you know an interesting shout, slightly different. Um, sort of player to Henderson, obviously, uh, but you know, Fabinho, Wan Aldem, and Kater and midfield is, is, you know, it's not to be sniffed at. It's still a pretty good midfield, and um, you know, the, I guess the the onus is more on Fabinho to be that that destroyer and um, and play it a little bit more simpler. So Henderson plays a lot of forward passes as well. That's got to be f- uh, fall on someone's shoulders, and maybe Wan Aldem does that job. Yeah, it's a bit of a problem for Klopp because he's been such a big, big player for them this season, and you know the stark contrast when he's in in the team and out the team has been quite evident when uh, over the last few weeks. Anyway,
0: right. So now we'll move on to Arsenal versus West Ham, and we've got our our two favourite teams from the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no Premier League game for Arsenal this week, but they got past Portsmouth in the FA Cup with with ease. Perhaps a welcome break for them as it's it's not been going great in the league. The underlying numbers do look really worrying. They, they got a fortunate win against Everton a couple of weeks back. They have got a game in hand on most, but they're, they're 10th in the table. Info goal has them as even lower at 14th. West Ham did play at the weekend and they, they actually played well at the weekend, believe it or not. A, a fully deserved win against Southampton. We've talked previously a bit about how Moyes hasn't really changed anything since coming in and the performances have, have actually got even worse. But... He went with two up front. Bowen looked good in his debut. And if they managed to get a win here, all of a sudden things don't look so bad or or as bad as they did maybe a couple of weeks ago. They're labelling this one the info Gold derby, Jake. Arsenal have got 62% <laughs> chance of victory. West Ham 16 and a draw at 22%, all according to the betting market. Is there a value play for you in this one?
1: There is, yeah. Yeah. You know, like you have said, we, we've not really liked these two teams all season long from a data perspective, and um, it's quite a difficult one to choose. Uh, obviously, you've got the the one good performance from West Ham that you can sort of cling on to, and, and Arsenal's continued defensive, um, you know, instabilities. But in terms of the value play, it is actually opposing Arsenal. I think they're we think they're a little bit too short, sixty two percent. About one point five. We think they're really they're, they're too short for this game. And I know that they come into this on a on a seven game unbeaten run in the Premier League, and they've won two of the uh, won the last two matches. But the performances in that time have been really really poor. Sort of thing we've seen all season long, conceding really good chances, um, creating very little. Obviously, the um, you know the, the Newcastle result stands out as a, as a really maybe a turning point. But even so, they were flattered to win that four uh, nil. The game prior to that against Burnley, they conceded over two expected goals and fortunate to get a, a goalless draw and like you said the Everton one was the the most recent Premier League game in which they conceded over two and a half expected goals and, and created just 1.33 and managed to come away with a 3-2 draw so um, all the people that are saying that Arsenal have turned the corner they're going to make a charge for the top four top six whatever um, gets you into Europe these days I'd, I'd say just hold your horses I'm not too sold on them just yet um, in fact the Info model giving them only a 2.2% chance uh, of making it into the top six this season um, and, you know, if you're looking at the top five, we actually give them a better chance of being relegated than making the top five, which is 07 to get relegated, 0.7% and 0.4% to make the top five. So, um, yeah, based on what we've seen in terms of the underlying metrics, we aren't too keen on Arsenal. Um, uh, the same can be said for West Ham. <laughs> Obviously, the, uh, the the result of the weekend is a, you know, it's a massive boost for them. Lifted them out, out of the um, the relegation zone for the first time in a while. and. You know, their main issues have come in defence and it looked as though that, to some extent anyway, <clears throat> those were sort of rectified at the weekend. Playing a Southampton side who were averaging 1.6 expected goals for per game this season and they conceded just 0.86, which is, um you know, a pretty decent feat. And, you know, I think the a blueprint of how to beat Arsenal was, was put in place last weekend against Southampton because... Arsenal play with a high line just like Southampton do and um, West Ham just crucified the high line with um, very very simple and basic over-the-top passes to the, the pace that they had in behind of Bowen and, and Antonio and Halaire. I think there was one of them, Haller, did a, um, a little Rabona <laughs> pass through to Antonio, which is, um, yeah, that's the sort of thing that we expected to see from a £40 million striker. So, positive signs for sure, creating over three expected goals in that game, getting the attacking uh, attacking players going. I think the main thing, uh, from my perspective, is, is I want to see them be a little bit more defensively solid on a more consistent basis, and also creating the chances. Because you know, since Moyes has come in, it was only the Bournemouth game in which they created decent chances. Um, so yeah, the, you know, it's a good it's a good step in the right direction. Don't get me wrong, this is going to be a tough test for for West Ham. Um, I think if you're David Moyes, you have to approach this the same way as you approach the Southampton game. Like, you've got to go and try and win the match because if you don't, then um, <clears throat> there's every chance Arsenal can overpower you and, and, and get a comfortable win. So, if I was West Ham, I'd be playing on the front foot here. Arsenal's weaknesses, um, you know, are especially in defence and West Ham showed last weekend that they are very capable in attack when they want to be. So, um, you know, in terms of a, a value play, we have got two. The First of all, both teams to score is, is we think, is probably the best value bet. Um, 63% chance we're giving of both teams hitting the net. And that's around 60% on the market. So, a little bit of value there. And and like I said, opposing Arsenal is the way we're going. The market's got them at 62%, which we think is just too short for such an inconsistent team. A team that has continued to show vulnerabilities in defence. And obviously, like you said, they they sit 14th in our expected goals table. So, they're not doing a lot right this season. And and they're allowing 1.6 expected goals against themselves um so oppose arsenal get on side with west ham um whether that is by laying arsenal or by backing west ham or the draw um that that's the value playing this one
0: i don't know whether that could be a, a personal catchphrase or a, a tagline for the podcast jake premier league insights oppose arsenal <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah well when they get when they when they do start improving the underlying numbers obviously that tagline will change <laughs>
0: Um, one thing I was going to say was with West Ham and you, you mentioned briefly the the Bournemouth game. It's like the a decent performance from them is is very is few and far between this season. And without looking at the numbers, it feels like the Bournemouth performance was very similar to that of the the Southampton one. And obviously, we know what happened then for Moyes. Didn't the Southampton game was actually the first game they'd won since that Bournemouth fixture. So the fans might not want to see it. But is there a danger of we see that happen again. They slip back and it's another run of six or seven games without a win. Obviously, we're then right towards the end of the season. They're probably still around the relegation zone. How do you see them sort of picking up from here?
1: Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough. They've got some tough fixtures coming up. Obviously, they've, they've already played um, Manchester City, Liverpool, and now they've got Arsenal. I think they've got Tottenham as well coming up and Chelsea. So it doesn't get any easier in terms of the fixture list. But um, you know the, there has been steady signs of progress. I mean, although Liverpool comfortably beat them on expected goals, it was a it was a battling display from West Ham in which they, you know, they again caused um, quite a few problems in behind. And I think that's the way that they can get results against the better teams is try and um, try their best to be defensively solid. Um, and they've got really good pace, and um, halle has got the technical ability to actually find players. Um, Antonio running in behind is a huge threat, and um, I think, especially in this game, that could be a really, really good um, sort of outlet for, for West Ham to, to cause Arsenal problems. And, you know, we saw it with Newcastle when they went to the Emirates. They played on the front foot in the first half and they were very direct with the football and they caused plenty of problems. Obviously, St Maximan um, had a great first half and, and caused in all sorts of issues. And, and the same with Everton when they went there. Very direct in the football. Um, and because they play such a high line, Arsenal, it, you can get space in behind. I think the main thing is just to be direct. If Antonio gets the ball, um, you want him to be running at Arsenal's defence rather than passing it and trying to make a run, because that that seems to be where they struggle. I remember Richarlison playing ex- extremely well at the Emirates a couple of weeks ago. So um, in this game, I'd say try and be as defensively solid as you can. Try and win the ball back. And as soon as you win the ball back, get it forward, because um, quick transition seems to be where Arsenal struggle at the minute.
0: Right, so now we've got Crystal Palace versus Watford. Two sides coming into this one on a high after the weekend's results. I think Watford's 3-1 win over Liverpool was perhaps slightly more impressive than than Crystal Palace's fortunate 1-0 win against Brighton. But despite the difference in performances, three points to three points at the end of the day for for these two teams and it's two wins in two now for Palace and you'd have to say that it feels like they're pretty much safe. Watford, meanwhile, still in the thick of it and a win here could could really put the pressure on those rivals around them that that still managed to pick up points as well at the weekend. It seems like the two are a fairly evenly matched with Palace obviously benefiting from, from home field advantage, making them slight favourites. No surprise to see Watford take money and, and that price shorten after the Liverpool win, but what does InfoGoal make of this one?
1: Yeah, exactly like you said. Um, break the teams very equally with home field advantage making the difference. Um, we, we think there's going to be Goals in this match, um, which is which is why we've got both teams a little bit shorter than the market. We've got Palace at thirty nine percent and Watford at thirty five percent to get the win. Um, but yeah, it, it is two very evenly matched teams. Crystal Palace's second one 1-0 win, uh, win in success succession. Newcastle was a, a very good display defensively and, and in attack. Um, you know, and, and against Brighton. I think a draw would have been a fairer result. Obviously, the, the raw XG total is, is in Palace's favour, 2.3 to 2.06. But um, 62% of that came in the last kick of the game when Wilfred Zahar hit the post from basically the goal line. So, um, you know, if you take that away, the game might have been in different phase, a uh, different state. Then, uh, you know, a draw would have probably been a fair result. And Palace were just the more clinical team on the day. Obviously, fantastic pass from Ben Teche to put Jordan Ayo through. Um, and as you said, that pretty much secures Crystal Palace safety, I would imagine. And um, at the, you know, in terms of our sims, our simulations, we've got Crystal Palace at just a six percent chance of going down now, so um, we've got them as pretty much safe. The Underlying process this season hasn't been great. We've discussed this uh, week in week out, especially in attacks, just one point one two expected goals for created per match. Um, Defence, they've been very fortunate. Uh, Vicente Guaita's had a great season in in, in between the sticks helping um, helping Palace concede just 32 times expected goals against a 48 so they, they've ridden the look all season long but um, you know it looks as though they're, they're gonna to live to fight another day another season at least and um, you know they're not too far away from the uh, from the battle for the European spots if they put a couple more wins together um, but you know that, that that looks highly unlikely given what we've seen over the course of the season and this is going to be a Pretty big test for them, I would imagine. Obviously, Watford coming off a massive result against Liverpool, they were um, really impressive, as we've already discussed. They basically dominated Liverpool in terms of expected goals, in terms of the you know the pressure on the ball. If they perform like that every week, then they will stay up. But um, you know that's been one of the issues for Nigel Pearson's side is that when he he came in, they performed like that for five or six games, went unbeaten, picked up loads of points, closed the gap, and then they've gone on a four or five game win this run and um, it's just having the consistency in this league to to you know, su- st- uh, survive and that win took them out of the bottom three. Their underlying numbers are the best of any team down there at the moment. 1.45 expected goals for, 1.69 against. So, um, in terms of underlying process, they are the best team in the relegation battle. Um, and that means that we're giving them a 36% chance of going down. Now, that sign sounds high, obviously, but there, there is only a one point. Um, one-point cushion at the moment. Bournemouth at 40%, West Ham at 39%. So uh, we think Watford have got a better chance of staying up than than both of those sides. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be more of the same, you would you would hope, for for, for Watford. Playing on the front foot, um, plenty of runs in behind from uh, Ismail Assar and, and Pereira. Obviously, will picked that injury up, so Pereira will probably start. Dini just trying to um, prove to be a, a, the main focal point. Decore running off him. Creating chances, Capoue uh, being the the destroyer in there. So um, yeah, I, I think this could be quite an interesting game. I think we, like I said, we, we think there's going to be goals here. Um, that's the main bet. The main value bet is to back both teams to score. So we give them a 58% chance. Uh, the market's at 40, 54% chance of that happening. So um, both teams scores the main value play. And, and in terms of the one x two, like I said, it's pretty much um, very in line with what the market is suggesting. And yeah, I think if I was to sway one way, it would be to um, to Watford, just purely based on the fact that over the Pearson's 10, 11 games in charge, their underlying process has been ex- excellent compared to Crystal Palace's. Um, but, you know, back-to-back clean sheets for Palace, whether they deserve it or not, they, they somehow find a way of doing that. I don't think they'll keep a clean sheet here, but they might hold out for a draw.
0: Yeah, I think... Uh... Interesting to see that betters are reacting to that Watford win in terms of the the one x two market here, but certainly not the case for the goals market. It's a, a two and two point five, and the under proven to be the most popular bet at the moment.
1: Yeah, I would definitely go the other way. I think I think um, what we've seen from Watford in recent weeks has been um, almost the exact opposite of what you would expect from a, a team in a relegation battle. Um, you know, there's been over two and a half goals in in five of the last. Uh, four of the last five Premier League games. Um, Obviously, in Crystal Palace's last two, there hasn't. But prior to that, we'd seen a 3-1 and a 2-2. So, I wouldn't say goals are are off off the cards here. The market's got them at 44%. The model says 54% chance of over two and a half goals. So, if you're wanting a, a real outside bet at a fairly big price, then, yeah, take the overs.
0: Right, so Sheffield United versus Norwich. Obviously, Sheffield United, one of the teams that missed out on their game due to the FA Cup final. So they'll be rested and and ready to host Norwich this weekend. Chris Wilder's side, they've been one of the standout performers this season. I think even ninth looks good on paper for a, for what was a, a relegation contender. But ninth looks even better when you consider their five points off fourth with a game in hand over, over everyone between them and the Champions League spots. So it's... Quite a, an incredible season for them so far, and obviously they'll be they'll be hopeful of a win here because they got bottom place Norwich. They they started the weekend's action with an important winner against Leicester last week, kept those faint survival hopes alive. Obviously, not then ideal that that everyone above them picks up points as well, but it wasn't a great game. It wasn't a good start to the weekend. Leicester probably the better side, but even then, they only managed one point three nine expected goals. It was 0.6 for Norwich, obviously a wonder strike to win the game. You have to say, though, they were due a stroke of luck there. They're still 17th in the expected points table, I believe, but six points adrift from, from safety in the table. And that's the table that really matters, isn't it? I mean, no surprise, Sheffield United are favourites for this one. A win for Norwich and anything but three points for those around them. And the the unlikely surge for safety is definitely on. The market has given them just 17% chance of making it two wins on the bounce. Do you think they have that in them to, to get another three points? Is there any value on offer in the available markets, do you think?
1: Um, there's definitely value. Not, not in the 1x2, though. It's priced up pretty accurately, this one. Um, I think everyone's seen this as, um, you know, as a, a top 10 team against a relegation team. Um, that's why it's priced up the way it is. Uh, Sheffield United odds on favourites. Probably fair. Uh, they've been really impressive. They sit eighth in our expected goals table, so the fact that they actually sit eighth now is um, means that they are where they deserve to be. Their underlying process this season has been, you know, it's been excellent. It's, it's been that to rival the likes of um, Everton, Manchester United, etc. It's been way better than um, than Tottenham and, and Arsenal, especially. 1.59 expected goals for, 1.45 against. So they're creating good chances. Um, and while they are conceding good the chances, they're, they're creating more, which is the most important thing. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, the main <coughs> the main issue I have with Sheffield United is the fact that they are underscoring um, and they're conceding fewer than you would expect. So, they're um, in terms of goal totals, 27 games gone, they've scored 29 and conceded 25. But in terms of expected goals, they should have scored close to 43 and conceded 39. So. You know that their goals should have seen, uh, sorry, their game should have seen a lot more goals than what they have, and that means that the goal lines in their matches are quite low, which um, you know could offer some value, and it does in this match anyway. Um, As for Norwich, they had a, yeah, it's a huge win, and and like you said, probably deserved over the course of the season, if if you can say that. They've um, you know they've they've not been the worst team in the league as as the table would suggest. should at the very least be a little bit closer to the the, the teams that they're competing with f- uh, to avoid relegation. Six points is the gap, as you've said. Uh, but in terms of process, they you know that they, they are performing like a like a team that is in a relegation battle, so they can have no qualms about being down there. Um, and they're conceding nearly two expected goals a game, which is a you know it's a big worry as you're coming down the home stretch of the season. They um, you know they were a little bit fortunate to beat Leicester. It was a great goal to get them the win, but um, it was another game in which they created fewer than one expected goal. Um, that's happened in the last three matches, obviously, played Liverpool, Wolves, and Leicester. That is likely to happen. So, may fancy the chances of, of creating a bit more against um, Sheffield United, who, as we've said, should have conceded more, uh, more than they have. But, you know, it's, it's a tough one to call in terms of um, Nor- seeing Norwich get a result here because. Sheffield United have uh, in the last 13 matches have only lost three times, um, and all three of those defeats have come against Manchester City and Liverpool. So when it comes to playing the rest of the league, Sheffield United are exceptionally good, um, very consistent in the performances, um, and like you said, they are five points off top four <coughs> with a game in hand. So they'll be, you know, they'll have an eye on this game with a almost a must win look if they are to make European football. Um, you know, that, that this game. After this game, they've got Newcastle as well. So, on paper, two games in which they have a real chance of uh, of getting maximum points and climbing the table, but they're a little bit too short for our liking. Over two and a half is where we're looking in terms of value. Um, as I've discussed, Norwich conceding plenty of chances on a regular basis. Sheffield United creating and, and conceding chances at a, a much higher rate than their goals total would suggest. So, uh, we're a 53% chance of over two and a half, and, and that's about 51% on the market. So, a small amount of value there.
0: Yeah, definitely seems to be another one where perception is pro- perhaps overriding what we've, the underlying performance we've seen. Because because bet is keen on the under again. I think the the big question, Jake, is when is David McGoldrick going to score?
1: <laughs> Never. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's the poor bloke. He's on about seven expected goals for for zero goals this season, which is um, obviously the the most in the Premier League without a goal. I think Shane Long was second a couple of weeks ago before he scored he had about three and a half expected goals so yeah it, it'll happen at some point um you know one will just hit him on the bum and, and drop in the bottom corner or something like that um but he needs to get game time because he's not been playing at the minute obviously not not scoring he's not getting in the team so um but yeah if, if, if he's persisted with he will he will get a goal basically that the expected goal total suggests that he's getting in the, in the right positions he's just not taking the chances for whatever reason.
0: We'll have to wait and see with that one, but we can now move on to our next game, which is Southampton versus Newcastle. Southampton, they've, I mean, for me, they've been a bit of a weird one this season. They started poorly and they were really struggling by the end of 2019, but then they hit that purple patch through December. They were climbing up the table, great underlying process Things seem to have dropped off a little bit recently. They're they're back down to 13th in the table, still 9th based on InfoGoal's expected goals table, but they're probably going to spend the rest of the season now hovering between that that mid-table and just below the European spots unless something quite dramatic happens. But the, the points continue to stack up for Newcastle despite a really poor show in this season. Just the one point this weekend with that 0-0 draw at Burnley and for once it was... It was a point that they they actually deserved, which you can't say in many of their games but I also think if you if you look at those raw figures you you might say that they should have won the match, but when you watch it, it was a game of just a lot of low quality quality chances where the expected goals figures seem to be built up from a a high volume of of low quality chances there's there's two teams here that probably some of the biggest contrasts we've seen in the actual league position versus expected league position. Southampton, as I said, 13th, deserving of 9th. Newcastle, 14th and and 18th on expected goals. They're obviously next to each other in the table, but apparently they should be up to nine positions apart. Does that mean that you see big value in Southampton for this one?
1: It does, yes. Um, as As you said, Southampton have been a very funny team. Uh, they started the season really well in terms of underlying process and, and numbers and creating chances, and, and they, you know they didn't get the results that they they deserved. Turn the of the year, all of that changed, and um, they went on an absolute tear, didn't they? Where they picked up thirteen points from five matches. Since then, the four defeats in six, obviously defeats to Wolves and Liverpool, and perhaps even Burnley, aren't um, you know aren't too much of a surprise. Perhaps Burnley, when they beat Southampton, were were in fine form and. Um, you know, winning games against the likes of uh, uh, of Leicester and um, and drawing with Arsenal, so they, you know, it wasn't the worst result uh, or worst surprise. Um, the big one was the the game last week against West Ham. So we spoke last week about West Ham's um, poor defensive display, um, uh, defensive vulnerabilities, rather, and, and Southampton's seemingly strong attack, and and it was exactly the opposite. Southampton were the ones that looked hugely vulnerable, allowing over three expected goals, Um, and West Ham were the ones who looked very solid and limited the Saints to just 0.86 expected goals. So, um, yeah, that was a bit of a surprise. It came from uh, from left field a little bit, but like you know, it it shouldn't really affect um, Southampton's chances of uh, of survival. Really, they've got a pretty nice cushion at the moment, seven points. But a win here would probably see that. see them secure the status as a Premier League team for another season. Uh, but <clears throat> it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interestingly set-up game, this one. Like you've said, Southampton are a team that are underperforming according to underlying numbers. Newcastle are a team that are massively overperforming. Um, and in terms of underlying process, it's, you know, it's chalk and cheese, really. You've got one team that's performing in, uh, pretty much in line with the likes of Tottenham and Arsenal, with a minus 0.16 expected goal differential per game. Um, and Newcastle, who have the worst process in the Premier League, creating less than one expected goal per game um, and allowing two expected goals per game. So, um, that this is the main reason why we've got Southampton as much stronger favourites than what the market has. And I think part of that is down to the fact that people look at Southampton's home form um, in, in the raw, raw table and see that they're rock-bottom. So <laughs> they, um, They're not very good home team according to the results but that has, obviously doesn't mean anything um in terms of the expected performances and expected results uh you know that their, their underlying process has been pretty solid for at home obviously the the main reason why they're um you know they've got a negative expected goal difference at st mary's is due to that leicester game in which they lost 9-0 i think there's an xg differential of minus four in that game so if you take that game out which was a, a bit of an anomaly then, um, then Southampton are playing with a positive expected goal difference at home, which is, you know, that that's that's a pretty decent feat in the Premier League given the uh, the amount of quality that is around. Um, you know, and as for Newcastle, they're one of the worst travelling teams in in the league. Uh, they're averaging just less than zero uh, point eight expected goals for uh, on their travels, allowing two expected goals again. Um, so. Newcastle are a, a really poor travelling team. Southampton are a pretty strong home team, despite what the results would suggest, um, and that's the main reason why we've got a fair bit of value in, in Southampton to win. Sixty-four percent is what we're giving them to get get a home win, and the market's at fifty-eight percent. So that's the main value play. And if you want a little outside bet um, over two and a half goals as well, is, it could be interesting, like we've discussed. Southampton did show some severe vulnerabilities at West Ham. Um, you know they have done in recent matches. That, Against Liverpool um, is the other example. So it wouldn't be too out of the realms of possibility to see uh, goals. Obviously, you look at Newcastle's results and see nil-nil, one-nil, nil-nil. But you know, they when they when they want to, they can create a few chances. And um, you know, they for some reason have a great capability this season of scoring from low probability chances. So it wouldn't be a massively surprise if this, if there was goals in this. Southampton are a very open side, as West Ham pointed out last week. So, yeah, another side bet, over two and a half goals, 63% uh, is what we're saying, 57% on the market. But the main bet is just to go on Southampton to win this one.
0: Right, so now we've got Wolves versus Brighton. Um I don't think there's many teams out there that are going to be winning over fans as much as Wolves at the moment. It was another big win for them, another entertaining game. and And those hopes for a top four finish are very much alive after that 3-2 win against Tottenham. They seem to have managed, well, I seem seem to have managed to find, but it seems like it's always been there, really. That balance in the team, and there's not many in the league who kind of share the workload as much as them. They've got Jimenez, Jota, Doherty, Neves, Traore, plus a few others. Opf- other options going forward, and defence isn't too bad either. Um, they look just like a very strong team, and it's going to be a challenge for Brighton, who are... A team that you you probably have to feel a bit for this season. They're putting some decent performances, but just not getting the results. the The current situation has got it's got like this Chris Hughton feel about it, where they're they're hovering above the drop zone, hoping to just about do enough to finish seventeenth. And it's kind of frustrating to see when you know that they're actually trying to play decent stuff under Graham Potter. They they tend to be on the receiving end of results, like the one against Palace, where they. They put in a good performance, but just just didn't get anything out of the game. We know Wolves are good, but but are they good enough to deserve a price of one point six four one, which is it's just under sixty percent, around fifty nine percent chance of the win. If they aren't that good, then is there perhaps value, maybe in taking on Brighton or or is it to the goals market here?
1: A bit of everything, really. Um, like you said, Wolves are winning off winning over so many fans right now. They're they're playing, um, you know, really entertaining football. They're very, they're, the system that they play is fantastic. They're very rigid. They're organised. Everyone knows their role. Um, they're creating plenty of opportunities. Um, you know, the, the, the win against Spurs, it wasn't their best performance of the season, but it was a, a deserved win nonetheless. They created the better of the chances and that moved them above Spurs into into sixth. And now they're only three points behind Chelsea. So they've got serious ambitions of, of, of finishing in the top four this season, never mind the top six. Um and, you know, that, that's where they deserve to be. According to expected goals, they're the fourth best team in the league. They sit fourth on our XG table. In terms of underlying process, it's, it's improved, you know, pretty much every week. Um, I did a preview of the game last week and uh, and put a rolling XG average chart in there. Um, if you want to go and take a look. And it shows you just from the start of last season when they were promoted, just how much the process has, has improved. And, um, and that right at this moment in time, this is the best Wolves team um, not the, best, the highest point that the process has, has ever been since the return. So you know they, they continue to impress and they continue to excel. And you know I have no problems in, in, in suggesting that they are probably the best team <clears throat> outside of, uh, of Liverpool, Manchester City. Um, they, they're so consistent in their performances and their results. Something that Chelsea, Manchester United, Spurs, they just aren't. And um, you know you know what you're going to get with Wolves week in week out. The process is is excellent. 1.84 expected calls 4, 1.29 against. Um, you know, in, in terms of look at big chances created or non penalty big chances created, which is a, a metric that we use at, at InfoGoal, um, where we take a 35% chance of conversion uh, and over is classified as a big chance. Wolves have created 50 this season, which is the fourth highest in the league, and, and they've con- conceded just 24. Non penalty big chances, which is the second lowest in the league. Only Liverpool have conceded fewer. So, um, you know, not only are their um, XGF and XGA per game really impressive, but in terms of create, creating and limiting big chances, they've been really, really good this season. Um, as for Brighton, the only team in the Premier League this season that hasn't got a win in 2020. Yeah, they, they can feel a little bit hard done by, um, given that stat, because you know, the games that they have played in 2020, they were unfortunate to draw with Villa, they were unfortunate to lose to Bournemouth, they were unfortunate to only draw at West Ham, unfortunate to draw with Watford, so, you know, you've seen a trend develop. Um, basically, what's happening to Brighton is that they're not taking the chances. Uh, it's been the case all season long, really. Uh, they've, they've scored just 32 times in 28 games, but according to expected goals, they should have scored 44. So, um, you know that those twelve goals that are missing could really be the difference between them staying up and going down. As it stands, given the um, you know the ratings of the teams and, and the strength of schedule for the remaining fixtures, we're giving Brighton just a fifteen percent chance of being relegated. So um, you know we've got Norwich at ninety-six, Aston Villa at sixty, um, Bournemouth at forty, West Ham at, at thirty-nine, and Watford at thirty-six. That we think have all got a greater chance of going down than Brighton. So. Um, you know, trust in the process is what is what we're saying there. Basically, if they keep performing at the same levels, results will take a turn for the better. But as for this game, I can't see it happening. Um, Wolves are the much, you know, they're, they're the supreme team of the two. Um, and, you know, there's value in backing them just to get the win. Sixty-three percent chance of home win. Sixty-one um, percent chance on the market. So there's value there. Interesting head-to-head. Uh, Wolves haven't beat Brighton in the last in the three games since they came up to the Premier League, which is you know, it's a random start. Obviously, the two teams are in completely different places now. Um, but if you remember back to the game in December at the Amex, Brighton and Wolves have played a really entertaining two-two draw. I think it's going to be as open and probably as goal-laden, and that, that's where we're looking as well for our second bit of value over two and a half goals. The model, the market's saying around fifty-one percent chance, so just a shade of odds on. We think there's a 63% chance of over two and a half in this, so there's a you know that's quite a bit of value um, in, in, in siding with goals, um, and the same f- for both teams to score. You're looking at 50% around even money on, uh, on the market for both teams to score. We're going 58%, so um, you know a high scoring home win in which both teams are scoring. Uh, if you want to whack them all together.
0: Well, it's, it's quite interesting that a lot of the, the teams, when we talk about their their underlying process and their, their expected position in the table, we're beginning to see some get more closely aligned to perhaps where they were a few games back. But it's also, I know um, David Sumter, the guy who's written Soccermatics, I've seen stuff that he's put online about at what point does kind of Actual performance and and the the data that you see borne out in scores throughout the season. What at what point does that begin to overtake expected goals? Like, do you always trust expected goals throughout the season, or do you begin to see, as is the case maybe with someone like Brighton, that potentially something's just happening there that means they're they're they look good on paper or, or on underlying process, but they just can't quite manage to to get the results that we say they quote unquote deserve
1: um no I'd, I'd say always stick with the with the model and uh, and trust in the model i think the the interesting thing with football especially the premier league is that there are only 38 games and while that does seem a lot in terms of like allowing time for regression it really isn't a lot so you can see teams that that get relegated or or finishing the top four that perhaps didn't deserve to over the course of the season and and like take Manchester United a couple of years ago or Jose Mourinho, for example, where they finished second in the uh, in the Premier League behind Manchester City. They deserved to finish sixth. So, you know, they went from all second to basically a Europa League spot. Um and, you know, that over the course of the season that their regression didn't really kick in. Um, we only saw it in the following season, um, when obviously Mourinho ended up getting sacked after about ten, fifteen games when they were mid table in the, in the Premier League. So in terms of a single season it is difficult to sort of to say Brighton are going to get out of it because um while they are performing like a mid-table team in terms of like you said the results and the scores that they're not very good and the main thing is just to trust in the model and i think if it was a if it was a 76 game season then for sure you'd see Brighton take a real upturn and probably finish in mid-table but 38-game uh, season, we could easily see Brighton go down, whereas, um, you know, we, like, same as we can see Newcastle staying up. Um, so those sort of things have to be, be taken in, into mind, obviously, but um, trusting the model is, is the main way to go. And, um, you know, hopefully for, for Brighton's sake, the 38-game the season is, is long enough for them to see uh, an upturn in in results as to the level of what we would expect.
0: Well, if we could get a seventy six game season, Jake, sign me up twenty four seven soccer. It would be be the dream.
1: <laughs> yeah, two pods a week.
0: Right. So now we'll get on to Burnley versus Tottenham. And if anyone listened to the pod last week, we we were quite open. Said it felt like everything was pointing to a, a Burnley win, but they barely turned up against Newcastle. Quite surprising for a team that's that's been so consistent and despite kind of public perception as well, they are actually quite an attacking team who, who often pose a, a threat to the opposition. And that just wasn't quite the case. They managed 0.71 expected goals against what is a, a really poor Newcastle defence. As I said earlier as well, Newcastle did create plenty of shooting opportunities, but Burnley did what Burnley do and they, they made sure all of those were, were low quality chances. As for Tottenham, they're obviously going to be annoyed that they not only let a lead slip on two occasions but they actually ended up coming away with nothing from that home game against Wolves potentially another example of Wolves numbers being affected by you mentioned there their their big chance conversion they had the 0.7 xg chance for Jota so it's it it feels like a draw was probably the right result in that one however it did end 3-2 to Wolves and that's that's essentially put any chance of a top 4 finish for for Spurs to bed that said, fifth might be good enough to get a Champions League spot now and a win here would still keep them in the running for that. What chance does, does InfoGoal give, Info give Spurs of a win and, and how much does that match up to the betting market?
1: So in terms of a Spurs win, we're giving them a 34% chance uh, of getting the three points. Market's got them at 39% uh, and favourites, but we've, we've got it flipped pretty much. We, we think Burnley should be actually priced as favourites to win this game. Um, like you said, we were, we were disappointed with Burnley. We, we hyped them up. We, we said that this is the time that you get on them at a really big price to go away and get a win. Didn't really show up. Um, the only thing I can hope for is that they were saving something for this game. Um, that's the uh, that's the positive spin I'm going to put on it. Um, but yeah, it, it was a poor performance from Burnley, but nonetheless, it's a, it's another point that keeps it going in the right direction. As you said, in terms of Newcastle's chances, they were all low-probability chances, so... From a defensive standpoint, it was a decent performance, um, and you know they continue to be really impressive this season. They are rightly in mid-table in the in the Premier League. According to expected goals, the process is uh, is is, be- is actually better than Tottenham's, which is um, you know quite a surprise maybe to to some people listening. One point four four expected goals for one point five seven against. So. You know, an expected goal difference per game of minus 0.13. Spurs is at minus 0.14. So the two teams are at a very similar level. Um, and I think that's where we've how the models work this out, basically. We've got two teams that we think are even and then with the home advantage. we But we've got Burnley as the favourites. Um, you know, they haven't had an issue, Burnley, playing the big teams recently. Obviously, they beat Leicester at, at Turf Moor. They went to Manchester United and got three points. Um, and, you know, they were really unfortunate not to get three points against Arsenal. At Turf Moor also, they created plenty of chances uh, over two expected goals against Arsenal and, and squandered those chances. So, they don't have an issue playing the big boys. Um, I, I mean, the better teams, but can you call Tottenham one of the better teams right now? Um, i def- definitely argue not. Um, so, yeah, we, we think Burnley are a, a, they're a good side. They are more than capable of causing a serious, what would be an upset looking at the, uh, at the market. As for Spurs... Three defeats in a row for them now. Um, it's all starting to unravel, really, and it's basically what we expected to see based on um, on underlying performances. It was, uh, you know, Mourinho got off to a great start in terms of results. Obviously, five, four wins in the first five games, but after that, the performances were shocking, really, um, and have been for a long period of time. The what was it, ten games since that that five uh, four win in five run. They've lost the XG battle in seven of those. I think it's actually more than 10 games. Um, but they've only won the XG battle in three of those games. Um, and they, those have come against Norwich twice uh, and Aston Villa. So, two of the lesser likes. Um, so, basically, they get outcreated every week by uh, by their opponent. I get your point about the Wolves game. But, um, you know, in the, in the first half, the way Info goal works, obviously, you've got the Deli Alley chance and then Bergwijn followed it in, um, which... Individually, if you click on them on the shot map, total uh, 1.16 expected goals. Obviously, you can't have two chances within seconds equating more than one expected goal. So um, the way our model works is that we refine those two um, uh, and calculate the chance of the total event basically being scored. Um, So that was about 1.97 given the output. So, you know, Spurs' XG total is definitely inflated by that uh, by that double chance, um, but you know the, the main issue I have with Tottenham is defensively they are exceptionally vulnerable and and they have been for um, a long period of time now, which is a, a huge surprise given um, you know Jose Mourinho is, is the guy in charge. But I just have to look at the last four games really and uh, two point five against Wolves, one point seven against Chelsea. Uh, even Aston Villa managed to create over two expected goals, and obviously Manchester City put over three expected goals past them. Um, you know that's been the main issue really all season. It's been defensively, um, and you know that while they have started to remedy some of their attacking issues of late, creating more chances, um, it's still far from uh, what what we saw under Pete Pochettino. So Spurs are really in a bad place um, in terms of looking at top four finishes or top five or six finishes or however you want to look at it, we've got Spurs at 5% chance of of finishing in the top four, 25% of top five um, and 43% top six. So we've actually got them more likely than not to finish outside the top six, uh, based on underlying process, based on ratings and based on the the schedule to the end of the season. So we're not too hot on Tottenham um, and we haven't been all season long. Like Arsenal, they should be in the bottom half of the expected goals table. They sit 13th in our XG table, so you know they have some serious problems. And um, you know, getting on Wolves were about what two to one last week to to beat Spurs. Burnley are a very similar price. Um, There's huge value back in Burnley here. Um, Get on them any way you can if you you don't want to take them straight win. Get them on on the double chance or maybe even a handicap. So. Uh, Burnley is the main play. Like I said, we have 41 chance of a home win. Market's around 35, so get on Burnley. Uh, we also think it's going to be goals. I think over two and a half is is a really interesting angle in this. 48 percent on the market, so odds against. We've got that 57. percent So, um, given what we've seen from from both sides in terms of creating chances and conceding them, obviously more towards Spurs this one, given they've had two three twos in the last uh, for uh, last three league games. Uh, but Burnley are more than capable of creating chances. So over two and a half is a, is an also is also an interesting runner. But again, Burnley to win is the main bet. Both teams to score is also great value at, at, at 54% on the market, 59%. So same as the Wolves game, really. Um, home win, both teams to score and overs if you want to whack them all together.
0: I mean, it's a weird one with Mourinho, isn't it? Because he carries this reputation around in Park the Bus or, or whatever you want to call it. Very kind of centred around a, a strong defence and building from there. I don't know how long that, that hasn't been the case with him as a manager, but you, you kind of would have thought, no Harry Kane, no Son. He's, he started Ali on the bench, but not the last game, but the game before. It's almost like he's giving himself even better reason to to try and focus on defence. But is that is it flipped the other way? And because he's so limited in attack, it's almost like they've got to focus on trying to work out ways to, to cause the opposition problems going forward, that they, they seem to neglect the, the defensive duties. Is there anything that you can see that perhaps suggests why someone who's got such a good record as a, a defensive manager just can't get that, that Tottenham defence in shape?
1: Yeah, I think the, there's quite a few issues at Spurs. I think the defensive line is, is ageing. Betongan and Alderweireld aren't the players that they were a couple of years ago. Um, Aldevira especially looks extremely slow at the moment. I um, can't remember who it was. Who burst. Olivier Giroud burst past him for the first Chelsea goal a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that's never a good sign. Um, you know, in terms of the fullbacks, Ben Davies was um, was pretty poor on his return. Aurier has shown glimpses, but again, he's much more uh, attack minded than a than a defensive minded right back. I think the, one of the Barring the two centre halves, I think the main issue is the um, is the holding midfield role, which just seemingly hasn't been filled by anyone. Um, Harry Winks plays there at the minute. He's a bit too lightweight. He doesn't do the destructiveness um, as well as as, as other players. And um, has been in and out of the team, which hasn't helped. Eric Dyer could be one that slots in there, but I personally don't rate him that highly. I think he's too slow and immobile for for, for the Premier League. So there's a lot of issues there. I see your point about them trying to. Um, to, to almost create, out- create their opponents, or find ways to create, given that they're lacking on um, on in, in attacking areas. But it's all about balance. This game, and you look at Wolves; they've got perfect balance in their team, and they have done since they came up to the Premier League. They've got a rigid formation structure that they play to every week. And the Spurs just seems to be up in the air every week. no one knows which, like what formation Mourinho is going to play, who which players he're going to play. Obviously heading into the Chelsea game, we all thought Deli Alley was going to play as a false nine and provide a pivot and a focal point for, um, you know, Lucas and Bergwijn, but he opted to leave them on the bench and switch system to a three at the back. And I just think it's all a bit too confusing. He just needs to get back to basics. And, um, you know, unfortunately for Spurs, they're not in the position right now where they can dominate football matches, uh, outcreate their opponents, outwork their opponents. They actually are a mid-table team. Um, so when it comes to games against the better sides, they're going to have to get used to sitting in there at the moment and, and having to play on the counter-attack because they haven't got the players to dominate the football and um, uh, or they don't do it well enough when they do get the chance. So, plenty of issues there. Uh, obviously, the, the main thing that people point to is, is Mourinho being there, but I think anyone who went into that job would have had pretty similar results because I think the players are, I'm going to say past it, but they, they had their heyday under Pochettino when they... Uh, when they pushed close for the Premier League title, so it's a big rebuilding job for sure. Um, whether Mourinho is the right man to be in charge of that, I'm not too sure. Really, um, would they be in a better position or worse position if Pochettino had stayed in? Again, not too sure. Uh, it could, it, you know, the results could have been exactly the same under Pochettino. So, yeah, it, it's just a bit of a mess. Really, it's a bit sad because they got so close to almost, you know, pushing for Premier League titles and, and Champions League titles. And, you know, it looks as though that that's not going to be the case for a good few years again now.
0: Right, so straight on to Chelsea versus Everton then. And another important game in that race for top four. Chelsea appeared to have conceded ground to their rivals after scraping that draw against Brighton. But after Manchester United drew at Everton, they've, they've still got that three-point gap to go. Um It is going to be a very difficult game for them here because we know Everton are good they're much better than the 11th position they currently hold in the league. They should have beaten Manchester United at the weekend and that would have bumped them up to eighth in the league, combined with what was a deserving win that ended up in a loss against Arsenal when they'd be a genuine top four contender. However, that's kind of the way their season's gone. But one thing we know right now is that they're they're very good value for entertainment. They've been racking up the XG since Ancelotti came in. And I'm, I'm guessing we can expect another entertaining game here. So... How do you think this one will play out?
1: We we think it'll be entertaining, yeah, for sure. It, it like it's a really interesting game, given the fact that Chelsea are arguably one of the most out of form teams in the Premier League, and, and Everton are, are obviously one of the more informed teams. Um, you know, that Chelsea were good value for a point in the end, at the very least, against Bournemouth, but it was a far from a dominant display. You know, they, they did impress me against Tottenham in the last home match, but you know that against Bournemouth, the way they sort of capitulated after going one 0 up and conceding two quick fire goals is um, it shows me that the defensive issues remain and think um, they've they've been a problem all season long. But it looked as though during the mid part of the season that they'd sorted things out a little bit. But um, you know, recently they've conceded a lot of good chances on a regular basis, and you know, them, you do that, you. Not going to win too many matches, and that's been one of their main issues. Uh, you know, their expected goal against average is at 1.21 over the course of the season. It's not bad, it, it, I think, in terms of ex, expected goals, it's the third best defensive process in the league. Um, but the issue they've got is that they're conceding goals at, at a much, much higher rate than, than what would be expected. They've conceded 39 goals from 33 expected, so um, that's where their main issue in defenses is lie. Obviously, Kepa's been the man that's been penalized for that in recent weeks, haven't been dropped. I don't think Willie Caballero has done too much uh, to improve upon that anyway. But, um, yeah, it seems as though that teams are finding it really easy to create good chances against Chelsea, which is a, which is a slight issue. Um, but, you know, going forward, they still create plenty of chances. Um, against Tottenham, they had no issue creating. Uh, obviously, Olivier Giroud played and it was the focal point in that game. And, um, you know, against Bournemouth again, it was Marcus Alonso who scored, um, scored both goals. Having scored the winner against Tottenham as well, so he's a, definitely a man to watch. Um, yeah, they're, they're just an interesting team, Chelsea, all around this season. They're, they're another team that are sort of tarred with a, the brush of almost overperforming when, as a matter of fact, they're actually underperforming. I guess part of that is due to the fact that they couldn't sign players in the summer, and they're um, you know their squad is majority young players. But you know, in terms of their underlying numbers, they they should be third in the table. They should be a lot closer to. Um, to the likes of, of Liverpool and Manchester City, and they should have a, a bigger cushion to, um, you know, from the top four down than, than what they currently have, which is three points. So, yeah, they, they're, they're an interesting side, and um, main one of the main things that people point to is their is their home form and the fact that they've only picked up as it nineteen points from um, from the home matches this season, which is you know really really disappointing from a from a Chelsea perspective. Sorry, twenty one points from fourteen games. Um, but their underlying process has been excellent, really. They've got the second-best underlying process in front of their home fans uh, behind only Manchester City. So, you know, that that is a little bit misleading, the fact that they've only picked up 21 points. They've been much better at home. They've just not been able to take the chances. And that's been the case all season long. So, hopefully for Chelsea, that turns around. But, you know, that for me, going into this game, the major issue I have with Chelsea is the defensive problems. Um, conceding good chances to pretty much every team they play against at the moment. And and as we discussed last week and, and as Everton proved again against Manchester United, they're one of the most informed uh, attacking teams in the Premier League right now. Um, that, that draw with Manchester United, they were very unfortunate to um, have to settle for a point for more reasons than just the, the disallowed goal. Obviously, uh, it, dubious as it was and uh, whatever your thoughts might be of Sigurdsson being penalised for being in an offside position and, and affecting David De Gea. It was a, uh, you know, either way, they created enough chances to deserve to win the game. Nearly 2.6 expected goals racked up by Everton. And that's the sixth, seventh time in a row that Everton have, uh, have racked up over two expected goals. So, Carlo Ancelotti's got them playing in a very attack-minded way. Um, that Like I said before, they're very direct. The front two link up extremely well. They create really good chances on a regular basis. And I can see them doing the same thing to Chelsea here. Um, the, the same as... Same goes for Everton as it goes for Chelsea in terms of defense. There still, there still are signs that there there are improvements needed over the course of the season. They're averaging one point three three expected goals against per game since Ancelotti. That has decreased; it's down to one point two six. So um, they're trending in the right direction defensively, and and obviously as I've said, their, their attacking process is trending in the right direction. And uh, you rightly pointed out that the you know these two teams are should really be much closer in the table than than what they are. Everton are down in eleventh, Chelsea up in fourth, but. They should be fifth and third, respectively. So, you know, this is going to be a really tough game for Chelsea. And, you know, in terms of looking for value, the fact that we do rate these two sides fairly closely, um, given well, obviously Chelsea the home advantage, means that we've, we've got a fair bit of value in in backing against Chelsea. Slightly surprised that Chelsea were uh, are, are odds-on to win this game at around 44, 54% on the market. Um, you know we, we've got them at 47 so there's a 7% that um, that we think shouldn't really be there we think Everton have got a 7% better chance than what the market has in terms of avoiding defeat so that's the main play in this one is to get on side with Everton or the draw like you said I think it's going to be an entertaining game we've, we've got around 60% chance of both teams to score um, and over two and a half goals so yeah it should be a lively encounter but given the way Everton have been playing and especially the way they've been attacking, I think that Everton have got enough to get something from this game.
0: And just on Chelsea, kind of in particular, quickly, I think the it feels like the easy out for people or the the excuse that people use when they're having these struggles or the, like you said, at home, they're, they're dominating games, they're not quite putting it to bed, they're not putting their chances away. People tend to turn to, oh, Frank Lampard, it's inexperience, it's this and that. Is that can you see anything that perhaps justifies those claims or is it purely just things that happen on the pitch out of Lampard's control that he's doing all the right things before his team go out there in terms of managing the game, maybe substitutions and things like that and then just he has little control over their inability to to put the ball in the back of the net?
1: Yeah, I think it's probably 80% the latter and 20% um, a, a little bit of Lampard's fault. I think obviously he can't do anything about the fact that they're Squandering chances left and right, you know they've, they've scored 47 times this season, and according to expected goals, they should have scored close to 58. Now that is quite a difference, really, um, and you know that could that those was it 11 goals could be a, the difference between them making the top four and not. So, um, you know, there's not too much you can do about that. He's setting them up, you know, in in the right way. They've got the third best process in the league, so in terms of creating chances and conceding them, they're one of the better teams in the Premier League. Um, it's, it seems as though the the players are letting him down a little bit on that front. But I would say that, in terms of a, a small part of the blame on Lampard, I think he's been very very stubborn this season in, uh, with some of the, his personnel selections. Obviously, Olivier Giroud not playing when Tammy Abraham's been uh, been injured is, is probably is my biggest issue with with Lampard. I think that the gulf between Abraham and Giroud is is, is not that big, but the gulf between Giroud and Batchuaye is massive. So. The games where Batchway's had to start up front, I think they've lost quite a lot, um, of, of, or they could have done much better and put in a much better displays if, if Giroud was playing. And you could also argue Marcus Alonso as well. Obviously, he's been left on the periphery for a long period of time. Um, so I think there's a there's a little bit of of Lampard's. I won't call it inexperience. I think he's he's gone for this youthful approach, and obviously those guys are, who I've mentioned, are, are aging pros. Um, so he's obviously opted for younger. <clears throat> so, or, like I guess in Alonso's case, he's gone for Aspillita, who's the who's the um, club captain at, at left back instead. So yeah, I guess I guess he's, he's sticking with, to his guns. But you know, when they were going through that torrid period where they couldn't buy a win, um, then perhaps he should have reverted back to what his team has, has done best over the last few years, which is a, a solid three five two. We saw it. F- on a very one-off game at tottenham in um just before christmas where out of nowhere he opted to play a three at the back and what did you, well, you know lo and behold he went and bossed the game and comfortably won they did it again against tottenham and put in another good display so maybe maybe there's a bit of um a bit of him being a little bit too my way or the highway and uh, and not as accommodating to the players he's got at his disposal but um, you know the, way the the way the play and the process is really impressive. It is, it is like I said, 80 percent down to the fact that the players just aren't delivering for him.
0: right. well, on we go to Manchester United versus Manchester city. it's got to be the highlight fixture, I think, for the weekend. The points will will probably mean more to Manchester United at this point in the season than they would to to Manchester city, but it's it's obviously a Manchester derby. Both teams are going to want to keep their form going um for that, their respective European adventures. We've talked a bit about the the relatively poor Manchester United performance that that still resulted in a valuable point at the weekend. Obviously, Manchester City won the League Cup in a game that that we would have expected them to dominate as well. I mean, City are the better team in Manchester. They they have been for a while. Does InfoGoal think there's any value in them getting a win here, or is it another one where we could potentially look at goals
1: markets for this? Um A bit of both, really. I think the interesting angle for me is Manchester United's form against the better teams in the league this season. Obviously, you know, recent form is pretty good. Obviously, a draw with Wolves, beating Chelsea, beating Watford, and drawing at Everton. You know, that's that's pretty good form. But against the better teams in the league, they've got an excellent record. Beating Chelsea, obviously, they went to Wolves and got a point. Um, Drew with Liverpool. uh, They beat Leicester. Beat Manchester City obviously in the in the reverse game. They beat Spurs. Um, so yeah, they're, they're they're a team that f- some well, I, it suits them to play in these sorts of games. They play on the counter attack. Um, they can sit in. They can line the box. They can play with some um, you know almost rigid midfield of, of of McTominay, Fred, Matic, whoever they want to play, um, and then they can spring on you. And that that seems to or well, that does suit these sorts of games against better opposition. Um, that's exactly what we saw in the reverse game at the Etihad, where where United broke on Manchester City excellently. And, um, you know, Rashford and Martial were a handful that day. They were absolutely excellent. And, um, you know, they ultimately got a win, although it was a fortunate win. They rode the look in the second half. But um, that's what makes this really interesting. Obviously, if United had struggled in these sorts of games and picked up points against the lesser teams, then, um, you know, there's no doubt I'd be looking at Manchester City at that price around 59% and thinking that that's a good bet but given what Manchester United have shown um, in these sorts of games and like I said especially recently there's, there's been a little bit of an upturn um, in performances which you know, coming into this game and, and the rest of the season bodes well we mentioned they rode the look a little bit at Everton Everton one of the most potent attacking teams in the league at the moment and um, Manchester United You know, De Gea gifted them the first goal and then they rode the look throughout the rest of the game um, but Prior to that, they've been fairly impressive, and you know, like we've been saying all season long their underlying numbers have been pretty good. Uh, their issue has you know, it's just been especially this, at the start of the season, they were extremely unlucky defensively, um, conceding goals from low probability chances. That seems to have sort of regressed a little bit now, and um, you know, their, their against total is now less than their XGA, which means that they're conceding. Um, more chances than what they or should have conceded, thirty-seven goals, and they've only to conceded to thirty. So maybe that's sort of regressed a little bit. The um, Hayes is having a, a much better second half of the season. He's pulling off some good saves on a regular basis. Obviously, you think of the Sigurdsson save um, at the weekend against Everton to keep it one-one. Um, but you know, one of the main issues we've had with United all season has been their um, consistency. They've been so hit and miss with the performances, especially in attack, where um, Obviously, Solskjaer is very, very limited in terms of players that he can field um, due to injuries, but they're averaging 1.78 expected goals, four per game. It, it's, it's an okay number. It's not it's not what you would expect given the, the talent that they've got. Uh, it's enough to have them 7th, 8th ranked um, attacking team in the league. So, yeah, while, while we think this is going to be an entertaining game, it, it, it is suited to Manchester United's style, but overall... There is you know there's no doubt in my mind that um that Manchester City are the better team it's just whether whether or a matter of whether they you know given that the league's pretty much over they can't catch Liverpool they're gonna finish second it's a matter of whether they conserve energy in this game uh, quite you know beating Real Madrid in the champions league and then making nine changes for the league cup game at the weekend is suggests to me that Guardiola's on a rotation plan at the minute to try and keep his players uh, one fit um, and two trying to give everyone some game time because he's got such a big squad um, that could play into Manchester United's hands. Obviously, you look at Man City, they've got two world class players for every position, so uh, they're still going to perform to an extremely high level. Their, um, their performances in recent weeks have been really good as well. Obviously, even the Tottenham game in which they lost, they were excellent, they created Plenty more chances than Spurs did, and then they backed that up with two uh, two wins and two clean sheets against West Ham and Leicester, creating good chances and limiting uh, limiting their opponents. So, you know, it, Manchester City look like they're they're sort of hitting top gear right now. Obviously, Laporte's injury against Real Madrid in that in that first leg of the Champions League could prove could well it could it could end up costing Manchester City because we know how important he is. Uh, so that's why I'm taking the angle of, of both teams to score in this one. I think the the stats of uh, Manchester City's stats of when the Port's in the team and not in the team are uh, pretty much chalk and cheese. Obviously, he hasn't played too many games. So it's a small sample size, but usually when he plays, they keep a clean sheet, which is not something that they've done very often this season. So with him definitely not playing in this match, I'm, like I said, both teams to score is is the angle. I think Man City averaging nearly 2.9 expected goals, four per game, they will create chances against this Manchester United side. No matter how much they've improved, um, and I fancy Manchester United to hit them on the counter attack and cause City problems too. There, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's finally poised this game. I think the uh, the both teams to score bet is is probably the safest bet. Uh, we've given a sixty one percent chance of that happening compared to around sixty percent on the market. But in terms of value, we, we think Manchester City are just a tiny bit short um, compared to the Infigo model. They're around sixty four percent on the market. We've got them at 54%. So, you know, given the home advantage, we've actually got Manchester United as as a decent bet to avoid defeat. Um, As we've said already, Liverpool went there and and could only draw 1-1. United have already been to Manchester City uh, and got a win. So, out of twice, if you include the the League Cup second leg. So, yeah, a value bet is, is to get on side with Manchester United. But for me, the main play is both teams to score.
0: Well, I, I think I asked you last week, I've probably asked you two or three times on the podcast, we're talking to top four, top five, whatever it might be. I think you you said last week it was Chelsea fourth, Man United fifth, and then you had Wolves down as the, the next best contender. They're now, funnily enough, in fourth, fifth and sixth, obviously three points between them. Are you sticking to your guns with Chelsea fourth, United fifth, or have, have Wolves done enough now after that? Performance against Tottenham to earn potentially a fifth or fourth spot. Do you think?
1: Yeah, well, um, Mark Taylor and myself we we discussed this on Monday and uh, and we ran some updated simulations, which is obviously where we're getting the relegation figures from for uh, for the pod. And um, you know, it's actually uh, changed up a little bit. So we've still got Chelsea in fourth, but Wolves are uh, are now at forecast to finish fifth, and we're giving them a um, a sixty six percent chance of a top six finish and a forty two percent chance of a top five finish compared to the 52% of a top six finish of Man United and, and 28% of top five. So um, Wolves have actually overtaken Manchester United in, in terms of our rankings. We actually think they'll, they'll finish above United. Uh, I think most of that is down to the fact that they went to Spurs and got a win, which on, on paper was, you know, while we were flagging them up as great value to get the win, um, it was still quite a low probability that, that that was going to happen in the grand scheme. So... Um, yeah, they've they've overtaken Manchester United now, and yeah, I think Manchester United they're they're a really strange old team that they're, they're, they've shown glimpses um, in recent weeks of of what they're capable of. I just think they've been a little really unfortunate with injuries because if you if you could put Pogba and Rashford and um, you know them, them those guys in, back into that team, then all of a sudden you're probably looking at it would slightly differently, um, and you would probably give Manchester United a slightly better chance. Um, but yeah, Wol- Wolves have overtaken United, and they're, if you're looking for a, you know, a, a season or rest of the season bet, uh, they're actually good value as well to to get in the top six.
0: Right. So last game, Leicester versus Aston Villa, and I probably sound like a broken record because we're talking about top four, bottom three, pretty much every game. But I mean, outside of Liverpool and Manchester City, it, it does feel like every team is a contender for for one or the other. We've got Leicester here who. Are, they're in danger of letting a, a comfortable position slip as teams below them continue to catch up. And, and Aston Villa, who managed to to lose the League Cup final, slip into the relegation zone and then, I think, go rock bottom on your expected goals table all within the same weekend. So, Great they obviously, for them. there you go. They, they, I mean, Leicester, they they seem to drop away on the expected points table, but fortunately they've kind of built up a big enough of a of a cushion that, Anything like a top four finish, it feels like that might be a surprise. I mean, I'll, I'll probably ask you in a minute about those, those simulations you're running and where Leicester sit in that. I wouldn't be surprised if it's, if it's high up on the, the percentages. But their favourites here, 1.38, over 70% chance of the win. Is that too short, do you think?
1: No, we, we think that's about right. We've got 73% chance of a home win. And that's purely because we, we don't rate Aston Villa. As you mentioned, they are now rock bottom of our expected goals table. Uh, obviously that comes into it, into into the simulations, given you know the, the the poor underlying process that Villa have shown all season long. But yeah, Leicester are um, starting to worry me a little bit. I, I I said that a couple of weeks ago that they're definitely going to finish in the top four, but they're making me sweat. I've got to say, one win in seven. Um, well, they now just just eight points is the gap now between themselves and um and Manchester United in fifth. Yeah, that are they're making a little bit of a meal of it. I thought they'd have it much more uh, or be much more comfortable by now. Um The game against Norwich was, yeah, they, they were they were poor. They lacked a focal point, and I, I, to be honest, this I thought they looked a little bit tired and leggy. Uh, Wilfred indeed, he's still a massive player for them and a massive miss. Obviously Vardy um, wasn't playing that game, so you know it, while they were unfortunate to lose on the balance of of playing and, and expected goals they've not really impressed me in recent weeks at all. Um, in fact, the last time that I thought they had a decent game was against Chelsea where uh, you know they, they really did give Chelsea the runaround for 90 minutes and Chelsea scored from two set pieces. So, um, yeah, it's, it's not been very good. But, you know, I guess if you look at the, the fixtures that they've had, Chelsea, Wolves, Manchester City, three tough games back to back to back. And then, um, obviously, Norwich were fighting for their lives. And this will be no different. Villa are, um, you know, they as you mentioned, in the in the bottom three now, so every game is a big game for them. But yeah, the, the interesting with Leicester, um, one of my colleagues wrote a that did the match preview for the Norwich versus Leicester game, put the ten game rolling XG chart in for Leicester, and um, yeah, it's not great viewing for those that are are on side with Leicester for a top four finish. Obviously, at the start of the season, the process was really impressive, and um, uh, mid season is where they took off really from about the. Eighth game and, and the process just gets better and better. But since about game week seventeen, their expected goal against total um, has slowly been climbing and climbing and climbing. Um, and then from about game week twenty, their, their XGF total has been on the de, on the decline. And you know, heading into that game week twenty eight, their XGA was actually above the XGF um, in terms of rolling XG, which means a, a negative process in the last ten matches, which is really worrying. As I've said, and um, you know it's something that they've got to put right. It's a great game for them to do it, though, because as we mentioned, Villa are rock bottom of our expected goal table. They've got the worst defensive process in the entire Premier League, allowing two point four five expected goals against per game, which is a staggering number, really. Um, but you know, it's something we've seen week in, week out from uh, from Dean Smith's side. They just you just can't keep things tight at the back um, against Southampton last time out. They were woeful. They, they didn't even create too many good chances i wonder if they were maybe holding something back for the game at Wembley maybe uh, you know it, it'd be strange for them to do so given the predicament that they're in but you know they create just 0.42 expected goals for while allowing over 3 expected goals and you know they allowed over 3 no nearly 4 expected goals against Tottenham in the game prior um, and 2.8 against Bournemouth so pretty much every week is the opponents so are just creating chances at will um i don't see this being any different at all in terms of relegation they you know as we second from bottom where are they uh 59.7% so just 60% chance of going down and and you know that that has been from an implical perspective anyway that that it started off at 54 at the very start of the season so it's only jumped 6% so we they're doing better than what we would have expected basically um norwich at 96% they're pretty much down but um you know villa have got they've got chance and the reason that they've got a chance uh, or a better chance than people might expect of staying up is the fact that they do create chances. um i mentioned that the southampton game they created very little but that's that's a one off pretty much every other game they've created really good chances. um even against spurs they wrapped up over 2 expected goals 1.76 against bournemouth uh, 1.43 in the win against watford but you know on the whole they're averaging 1.5 expected goals four per game this season so when it comes to attacking, they're they're one of the best, if not the best team that's embroiled in a relegation battle right now. So that's the main reason why we think they've got a slightly better chance of staying up than the, than the market does. But this is going to be another tough game because Leicester, they need a win. This is a great, great time for them to get it against such a porous Villa defence. Um, but they need to be careful also because they could get stung just like not just like they did last Friday. Um in terms of value, like we have said, Leicester at seventy-three percent, slightly short. Um, but the main the main angle we're looking at is is both teams to score, given Aston Villa's uh, attacking output. We're at fifty-nine percent chance of that happening. Markets at fifty-six percent. We've also got value in over two and a half goals, which is you know sixty-four percent. So it's very short, but we we think it should be a lot shorter at seventy-two percent. So basically goals of the play, and that that, that always seems to be the case when Aston Villa are in town.
0: Well, there we go. Ten Premier League fixtures done for the weekend. You've delivered the goods, as always, Jake. Cheers for coming on and and helping our listeners with their predictions for the weekend. Much appreciated.
1: I enjoyed it. Thanks, Ben.
0: And thank you to everyone for taking the time to listen. Hope you've enjoyed the episode. If you do want more information on InfoGoal or you want to look at their numbers in more detail, you can visit InfoGoal.net, follow at InfoGoal app on Twitter or download the app on iTunes and Android. The latest Premier League odds are, of course, available on Pinnacle.com. Best of luck with any bets. And as always, please gamble responsibly.